you don't need to make any more content. You don't need to add more training modules onto your thing to go high ticket. You need more access and more perks. That's the thing that people pay exponentially more for. You already do that and you don't even know it. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to another episode of Creative Elements. What if you could earn an additional $100,000 per month with no changes other than your pricing model? That's more than $1 million per year, and that's exactly what today's guest, Brian Harris, did with his business this year. Brian is the founder and CEO of Growth Tools, a coaching program that guarantees to help you grow your business. Not only do they offer a refund, but if you're not satisfied, they will give you $1,000 back on top of that. I have never heard of a refund policy like this. And that is why I like following Brian Harris and his work. He always does things differently with his business and he's sharing the results. And he tells me that this goes all the way back to his childhood. So I've been on a probably quest since I was four years old. Me and my brother started a baseball card shop out of our bedroom window in Mobile, Alabama, selling baseball cards and getting ripped off from our Bo Jackson rookie card from our neighbor down the street. All the way through my my parents doing Amway and making websites in 1998 and everything in between, trying to find like, what's my thing? What am I going to make and help people with? I've been following Brian since 2017 when his business was called Video Fruit. It was a video production agency. And despite a lot of success and some really legitimate clients, he moved away from the agency model. Video Fruit was the original name of the company. It was because we made videos for people. Uh, Kiss Metrics, Neil Patel and Heaton Shaw was the first client I ever had. And you can still go to the Kiss Metrics YouTube uh, channel and see the really crappy, wow. bad haircut Brian Harris on there talking about stuff he didn't know anything about. I've been making videos for people. Eventually, I decided running an agency is something I have zero desire to do. Making videos for other people is not fun. So I made a course back in, this is in 2013, when making courses was not easy. It it was around, but, you know, I made the course, sold 20 or so copies to friends and family and Facebook groups I was in, and then realized, like, I got to figure out, like, how do you sell stuff to people on the internet that don't know who you are? That's what drew me to Brian. He was writing the most in-depth, practical articles about how he was getting more email subscribers, selling his courses, all the same things that we're talking about today, but five years ago. So in this episode, you'll learn how to get people to take action, how Brian sells a $15,000 coaching program, what makes a sales offer irresistible, and a brand new pricing model that increased Brian's sales $100,000 per month. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. Tag me, let me know that you're listening. And if you're here on YouTube, leave a comment down below and hit subscribe if you have not already. All right, that's enough from me. Let's talk with Brian. Here's a fun fact. Today is the nine-year anniversary of me quitting my job and going full-time on the company today. Yeah. Congrats. Um, So Video Fruit was the start of the company. I was, um, I remember watching one of those Jeff Walker style sales letter video things at my old job. And I think it was Stu McLaren for some reason. I don't know. Stu's Stu's a friend, good guy. And in the, um, in the video, he said, you know, all of us just want to quit our jobs. We can have more freedom and make more money or something like that. Like it's a perfectly fine thing to say. And I remember listening to that and thinking like, that's just literally not why I'm doing this. (laughs) Like, I mean, those things are good. Like those are, those are cool. Like, please. Yes. Also, that's not the driving force at all. The driving force is like, I was built to make stuff. And I know I have to make things and help people with those things more so in the make things. I know I need to make things and, and eventually sell them to have impact and blah, 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 blah. So in 2013, I quit my job 
and started making explainer videos for people. Actually, I started making explainer videos for people and then quit my job once I reached a critical mass. And then that evolved over the years into me going on a basically eight year mission, figuring out like what I really wanted to do. We were, what we really wanted the company to be when it grew up. And just in the last, honestly, the last 12 months that I like really rock solid carved that into the into the tablets and decide like, this is the exact mission. And now there's lots of focus and lots of dedication and just focus, I guess, on that now. And the last, the first nine years was figuring it out. And the last year has been like actually driving in a direction. I feel like that's always the way though. You know, if we had the same conversation two years from now, you might say the first 11 years were me figuring out in the last 12 months. <laughs> hey, if <laughs> I'm know? saying that two years from now, come slap me upside of the head. Here's the thing that gave me a lot of comfort in that. I was reading Shoe Dog, the Nike Phil Knight book, which is a fantastic, probably one of the best written business biographies, I guess you would call it that, that I've, I've personally ever read. And it was chapter 11 or so. This is, I don't know, 12, 15 years into the company, into Nike existing. And Phil Knight starts the chapter with something to the effect, you can go back and read it, but it's something to the effect of, and I'm wondering, like, I don't know what kind of company are we going to be? Are we going to be an apparel company? Are we going to be a shoe company? Are we going to be a sponsorship company? Like, I don't know what we're going to be when we grow up. Phil Knight of Nike fame is asking himself that question of Nike over a decade into the company, another good one in that vein that again, gives me comfort and like gives me, I don't know, makes me feel like I'm not an idiot. Sam Walton, these numbers will be roughly right. In the first 25 years of Walmart, they opened 30 stores. In the next 25 years of Walmart, they opened 3,500 stores. Wow. It's like, it took him, it took seven years to open the second store. So anyway, like things just take a minute. And I think something about modern era internet entrepreneur land versus other eras of entrepreneurship. You just see the unicorns all the time. You think everything's that. And it's just not. Nobody does that. That is so stinking rare and honestly winds up becoming a big problem for most of those people that it's not the, I don't even desired path really. Although the idea of hockey stick growth is, is exciting and fun, but it's okay to take forever. I love the note that we're starting this interview off on. Uh, this is great. <laughs> so my recollection is that you're doing video for it. You're making videos. And at some point you started publishing content for mm. some reason. And that yep. seemed to do pretty well. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. So uh, making explainer videos, I started just reading every Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, Ramit Seti, and every internet marketer that existed at the time, all their blog posts, reverse engineering, everything they were doing. I would try it, I would do it, and then I would report the results on it. And that all went on, at the time, the Video Fruit, now Growth Tools blog. And that's how I learned to sell things online, was just trying, more watching what they were doing, and then trying to mimic that and iterate and improve upon that. And that set me on kind of the current quest we're on. We eventually kind of solidified that into an actual mission and goals and everything. But how do you, how do you make it almost impossible to fail at, at growing a business, at, at getting new clients, which is ultimately the fuel in the car, if you don't have new clients, if you don't have new revenue coming in, like everything stops. You can have the best product in the world. No product, no customers, everything uh, fails. And that's the mission, I guess, I uh, unintentionally started in 2013 with writing those blog posts because I was trying to solve it for myself. And now our coaching company does that for other people. Like every time we learn, a new, every time we solve on our own problems, we turn it into a playbook and give it to clients. So their business grows and they tell their friends. And that's the flywheel of our entire business. So... I haven't really thought about that until now, but I guess that started back in December of 2013 when I wrote the very first blog post of like, let me just try this thing and see if it works. And that became the content that somehow people would find and they would come and sign up for our newsletter, my newsletter at the time. One of the things that I really appreciate about your work hmm. is it always seems like you're zagging when other people are zigging. It always <laughs> seems like you're doing things like different thing? <laughs> and effective. Well, it's effectively different is the okay, interesting right. thing in my mind, because I hear you using the word clients and I hear you saying the word products 
And when I think about uh, Growth University, which I went through a few years ago, it does feel kind of like a productized service in a way where there are things that like I take from it and it's kind of self-paced in a way, but there's also some uh, specific support that I get from you and your team. Is that still the same way that your core product operates? Yeah, the goal is for it not to feel productized at all. The real problem we're trying to solve with our product is how do you scale one-on-one coaching? Like I've had several extremely impactful coaches in my life, marriage coach, they would call themselves a marriage counselor. They're all the kind of the same thing though. Marriage counselor, business coach, close friends that have mentored me and coached me. But the problem with that, with that product type is that it's super not scalable at all. (laughs) Meaning the best marriage counselor in the world, say he exists and you can find him in Nashville, Tennessee. He can have about 20 clients a week and that's it. The problem is there's 8 billion people in the world and there's billions of marriages and he can't possibly coach that many people one-on-one. So they usually wind up writing a book or putting out a group coaching program or a course or something like that that has a drastically lower success rate because it's all self-paced. Like I bought this book, QBQ, the other day. I don't know what I have it in front of me right now. Uh, Good book. The vast majority of people that buy this book will never read it. The vast majority of people that read the book will never apply it successfully. But if you had John G. Miller, the author of the book, personally coaching you every day, your success rate would be nearly 100%. So the fundamental human problem we're trying to solve at Growth Tools is how do you scale one-on-one coaching? So the fact that you went through our product and called it a product and had it and viewed it as a systematized service means it's just early in the product and it shouldn't feel like that at all. It should feel like an even better version of Brian coaching Jay one-on-one. So that's the problem we're trying to solve. And we haven't fully solved it. Now it's a high success rate product that's well done. But we have years of development to fully solve that problem. And I'm super excited because I would love, like imagine if we encountered the best marriage counselor on earth right now and put a net around all the knowledge and systems and everything they had in their head and then could bring that to hundreds of thousands of people every day. With that, not, not just in a book form that's really hard to actually put in practice. And you have to work at it really hard to do, but in the same format that they would provide if you went in person, but even cheaper to way more people. Like that's the fundamental problem we're trying to solve. We're happen to be applying it to businesses that want to get new clients because that's just our use case. And that's not, that, that's not been done before. <laughs> so like we're experimenting with ways that you could replicate and scale one-on-one coaching, not group coaching because all those have way lower success rates. Like when we started selling courses, the Explainer Video course and other courses we uh, made since then, they're all good. Like compared to the industry, they had above average success rates. They're well done. They're well thought out. We put a lot of heart and soul in them. But less than 10% of people ever finished any course we ever sold. And we sold thousands and thousands and thousands of courses. Less than 10% finished it. Less than 1% got the result they wanted when they went through it. And that isn't the fault. Well, it's the fault of lots of things. It isn't primarily the fault of the product sucking. It's just the product type isn't great. Self-paced has problems with it. It's not great at reproducing complicated results over and over and over again. One-on-one coaching is fantastic at that. It's just that all those other product types exist because one-on-one coaching isn't scalable. (laughs) It hasn't been scaled yet. So it's a hard problem. That's the problem we're like maniacally focused on. And uh, I think we're going to solve it. We, yeah, so. It may have been early in the product's uh, history when I went through it, but there were still some really remarkably novel aspects to it that I reference all the time still today. Because right now I work with a lot of people who are building communities and they're trying to say, well, I'm trying to have this controlled one-on-one experience with a community of hundreds of people. And it's a similar problem from a different angle. And your way of basically building custom software to help people have a 
uh, a checklist that's been modified and customized to them a little bit, I think is a really powerful step in the right direction. What is what does that look like today? How are you trying to solve that scale problem one on one today? There's still some fundamental problems we're working through different solutions for. Thinking about your clients that you're working with who have communities. Well, there's a couple things. One, one of the questions we ask every new client is, why did you hire us? I was reading one yesterday, reading it out to the team, and it was like, I've hired lots of coaches and they told me what to do. They've told me why to do it, but they haven't told me how to do it. And that's one of the problems courses and books have. They give you the information, but then you have to personally transform that information into your to-do list. Like ultimately all that comes down, all the theory and ideas and examples and case studies and and even peer support, which is what a community is, all that has to boil down to a thing that Jay does. If it doesn't transform into a thing Jay does, Jay could never actually produce the result he wants. So the fundamental philosophy that we're working on and I think is proven out is that there's two things you need to, to, to consistently produce results, consistently get new clients, have a great marriage, parenting. It's all kind of the same thing. There's a series of complicated actions that need to be done whereby doing them a result happens. And how do you produce that over and over and over and over again? So our most fundamental philosophy in the product is that you have, see if I can think of how we word it. You have your next most uh, important action pulled from a plan you believe in. Mm-hmm. So there's two that. things you have to have. You have to have a plan, a plan that Jay believes in is the single most important thing. And then you have to have a handful of actions for this week that you're doing as a result of that plan. If you don't have those two things, it doesn't matter how much community you have, it doesn't matter how much training you have, none of that stuff matters. It's just noise because you have to have action pulled from a plan you believe in. If you don't believe, like this is one problem we're working on. We have a leadership team retreat next week. We've identified one core problem in the product. One reason the people that aren't successful aren't successful is they lose belief in the plan. Now, the way our product works, people pay us $15,000. And for that $15,000, they get a marketing plan they believe in and they get the first month of coaching. And we have a, uh, mostly unconditional. <laughs> There's a few little conditions based on you just taking forever to approve it, but you hire us, Jay, you pay us money. We have a week or so to produce a plan that we present to Jay. And if Jay doesn't like it, he gets to keep the plan, keep the playbooks, keep the month of coaching and gets all his money back. Hmm. If Jay likes the plan and he's like, yeah, man, let's do that. Then you get to keep it. And then we coach you through it over the following months. So at the point of Jay approving the plan, Jay has a lot of belief in the plan because he just forfeited $15,000 and get to keep it all for that. So despite that, we have a, over the last six months, a 100% marketing plan approval rate, which to me is- Really? Like, I'm actually no shocked. abuse. Like I, I didn't, in no way expected that. Now we've been working on that problem for years. So that's, we're like four years into that problem. So we like know how to do that really, really well. But we've added the condition in or the refund policy in a year ago. And I expected that to take way longer to solve. And we've solved that. Now the problem though is that we're hitting now is a decent chunk of people lose belief in the plan. They can't get their money back at that point. They've willingly, knowingly said, yes, let's go. And they know at that point, the money back on that part is not accessible anymore. But you get weeks in and people's actions start reflecting them not being bought into what they're doing. So one of the problems we're trying to solve right now is how do you get people on a daily and weekly level consistently knowing the plan that I have on this piece of paper right now is the best path for success. If you don't do that regularly, it isn't like, here's a template you get when you sign up for our membership site, go do it. That just doesn't work. <laughs> because I can tell you, we make highly customized plans and people lose the slack in the system. Slack in their belief happens like on a daily, like it oscillates. Mm-hmm. There's a Zig Ziglar quote that's uh, a motivation is like a shower. You have to take it every day. Oh and my like, gosh. That's, that's so good. Concept. Like just think of marriage. Like you want to be, you want to have a better marriage. Great. You go to a marriage counselor. Ideally they make a plan for you and then you work through coaching on that plan. 
but like two weeks in, something's happened. You've had a few, you've had a few arguments still. You fought over whatever the cycle is. And you're like, I don't know. Maybe this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like the belief in the plan is like going way down. You're never going to do an action if you don't believe in the plan. So anyway, we're constantly cycling through those things. Those are the two most fundamental aspects of producing transformation. You have to have a plan. You have to believe in it. Uh, you have to have a plan you believe in and you have to have action pulled from that plan that you consistently do weekly. Without that, nothing else matters. Peer support, community doesn't matter. Coach support doesn't matter. Playbooks and courses don't matter. All that stuff is noise if they don't equal those two things. After a quick break, Brian and I talk about why people lose faith in their plan. And later we talk about how to sell higher priced products and change your pricing model. So stick around. We'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids' entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash J. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash J and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com science. That's podcastmovement.com science. Welcome back to my conversation with Brian Harris. 
Before the break, Brian told us that the two most important things people need to move forward are a plan they believe in and action steps that align with that plan. But he told us a lot of people will lose faith in that plan. And I relate to this. I seem to lose faith in my own plans all the time. So I asked Brian why he thinks that is the case. My theory is that we forget why we, and so I just open, we're working on solving this problem because people believe a lot in the plan when they say $15,000, like keep it please. And then a week later, super obviously and measurably, the, the belief went from a 10 out of 10 to a six out of 10 or a two out of 10. Hmm. That happens regularly. And that's really fascinating and totally unexpected. But if I look back at myself, like as a company, because everything we do for clients comes from us solving our own problems codifying those solutions and giving the clients and then their business grows and they tell their friends. That's the flywheel. So I regularly think back to, okay, how do we do this internally? Have we solved this problem internally? So internally, a rhythm that we have is that at the beginning of the quarter, we set the goal for the quarter for the company. Let's stay at the company level. We set the goal for the company and the single most important thing in the company over the next three to six months. That's super clear. Leadership teams in lockstep on that. Uh, to start the quarter. But almost every time we're now, I don't know, almost at the end of this quarter and we're just having a conversation right before this meeting, literally right before we came on this interview about like, are we sure this is the most important thing? Because (laughs) it decays. Like you get new information that you didn't have when you started. And that's like, well, maybe this thing's more important or like, I don't even understand why we picked this now. So what we do internally is every week, as a team, we talk about the most important thing, remind ourselves why, and remind ourselves of the plan to execute the thing. Now, at any point along the way, we might say, like, this actually isn't the most important thing anymore. Let's pick another one, in which case you remake the plan. But m- most of the time, what I experience with clients and with myself is I just forget why. Literally, I just with the client last week, I had a one-on-one client come in town. We, we literally established the most important thing in the company over the next six months. And I'm experimenting with this because it's become it's become a known thing just in the last few weeks that this plan belief thing oscillates a lot. It isn't a static thing. Despite lots of money being at stake, it just still oscillates, which is surprising to me. So what I had them do was record a 10 minute loom video to them, like a letter to yourself 90 days from now, selling yourself on why you're doing this. Because I like, here's another realization in coaching. It isn't my job to keep you bought into this plan. It's your job to keep yourself bought into the plan that you're doing. So it's my job as a coach to facilitate showing you if your belief is low, because you might not realize that's a thing. So I know fundamentally the belief in your plan, number one most important thing. So we had, I had them film a video to a little loom video. They just sent it over to me a while ago. I haven't watched it yet. I'm really curious what they made because we'll probably codify that to give to clients going forward. Because I think (laughs) that's a good idea. But even recording it once isn't good. You need to watch that every week. And we need monitoring systems on our side to know when your belief is low. So literally next week, we'll like kind of decipher through what are different areas like action taking decreases. So like probably that, like think about it like a marathon. If you've never run a marathon before, I've never run a marathon. I have no desire to run a marathon. I like the idea of it, the training, zero interest. But just because I like hire a marathon coach back in, on, on, in September doesn't mean in December I would have done the work to do it. And I have to keep my personal motivation top of mind. Like, why am I doing this every day? Why am I doing this again? Why am I doing this again? Because the drudgery of running three miles a day, five miles a day, seven miles a day, 11 miles a day for someone that doesn't like running is just high enough that I will stop all of that uh, because I don't remember why. So tying it into your personal reason why, uh, walking myself back through, why am I doing this order of events? Because like in our coaching, there's just, there's just like a lot of things. You just got to do a lot of stuff. Marathon running is like fair, like there's way less moving parts in that than there is like getting clients for your business. So anyway, I think it's an oscillating thing that we, one of the core problems we've now identified is helping clients keep themselves 
motivated on a weekly basis, I think it's probably the right cadence. We've been keeping them motivated on a 90-day cadence, and that's too long. And they just kind of lose. They lose and forget why they started, why they're doing what they're doing. They get zoomed into action items, but yeah. then they lose focus of like, how does this get me to the thing? You need like a divergence, convergence sort of practice for them. I think zooming out weekly and just like reminding myself like, okay, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Now let me zoom into the weeds. Just a five minute zoom out, assess the field, zoom back in. Because we're really good at getting people to zoom in. But I think without zoom outs on a weekly basis, at least, you just kind of get lost in the weeds and all you see is weeds. And you're like, I don't know, whatever. You mentioned that for people who accept, approve this plan, this is a $15,000 investment. So talk to me about who the typical client is, what is true about them, that they're able to make a $15,000 investment. What are they trying to achieve? We work primarily with people that teach things. We think about best fit client or avatar on a spectrum. So on one side of the scale, you have bad fit people, people you never want to work with again. All of us can think in our head the names of the people who are just going insane, no desire to work with them. They have certain characteristics. On the other side of the spectrum, a 10 out of 10 would be a best fit client. Someone that like, think about the client who was easy to get to buy. They sent their friends. They say, I can't believe it's this cheap. I'd have paid three times as much. And they just do everything you tell them. Like if you could photocopy them, you'd get them all day long. All of our marketing and sales is targeted at that 10 out of 10 best fit. Now we'll take anybody all the way down to like a four out of 10 and we need to be able to handle a spectrum of people, but we, we're targeting all sales and marketing action and referral action and everything on that 10 out of 10 best person. So the 10 out of 10 best person is someone who's making 50 to $250,000 a year already in their teaching based business. So that could be course, coach, author, speaker types. Now our best fit client is a coach primarily and thinks about their business, not as an entrepreneurial I'm going to build this thing and sell it. Their primary driver is not money. It is a primary need, but not a primary driver. The primary driver is impact and legitimately helping people. That isn't just like a tagline on their thing. When we ask them, why do you do your business? It's all about the first three paragraphs are all about other people. And the last paragraph's about like, I need to have a good lifestyle and not work a million hours. It's that stuff in that order. It's not the other order. So our best fit person is that. So we focus most of our marketing effort with that language, impact and influence and blah, 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 uh, change people's lives and that kind of thing. Because that's just how they think. And when they join uh, Growth University, when they take you up on this plan, are they looking for more clients? Are they trying to build a scalable offer? What what does that look like? Yeah, we use all, like our, I guess you could call it mission statement. We don't have it labeled as that, but is to make it almost impossible to fail at getting new clients for online businesses. So most of them are coming in with a problem that I need more customers or clients, depending on what, what type of product they sell. And then our plan is primarily focused on that. Now, depending on the stage of the business, their, their actual problems are bottlenecking that or elsewhere. So we'll wind up solving. I'm surprised we've got into this, but a lot of business system stuff or people like, you know, if you're in the million dollar up range and you've held that for a couple of years, rarely do you really have marketing problems. You really at that stage have like leadership team problems and <laughs> mm-hmm. that you've gone into a genius in a thousand helper model. You get a 27 contractors, you're doing $5 million a year and like you think you have sales problems and really you're just doing everything you need a bunch of people to do what you tell them to do. So we wind up doing business system stuff for people at that stage. People under that, people that, you know, haven't averaged a couple hundred thousand dollars a year for several years in a row usually have product market fit problems. So you're, we're attracting lead, building good lead generation systems, trust building systems and monetization systems. And that's the bread and butter of what we do in GU is that. I like this new phrase you're using. You've said it a couple times here, this, this framework of, of I make it nearly impossible to fail mm. for 
this person at yeah. this thing. I think we probably both know Clay Haybear a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he has his talk on like the perfect intro. I help X do Y. And I've yeah. always liked that framework. Mm-hmm. But I like this framework even more right now. It's the best one I've ever found. Say more about that. Why is why is this such a good framework? Okay, so I think this is maybe one of my favorite topics. So I think the, the most interesting question I've ever, I'm sure I've stole it from somebody or conglomerated it. The most interesting entrepreneur or business question I've come across is this. What's a problem so interesting you'd gladly bet the next 20 years of your life on solving it? I think that's the most interesting question I've come across in all of business is that question. It's interesting because practically no one has an answer to it. It is the question. (laughs) It is the true question. It optimizes for all the things. It optimizes for revenue, impact. Those are the two primary drivers in business. And the answer to that is the fill in the blanks to we make it almost impossible to fail for X at doing Y. Or for, for we almost make it almost impossible to fail at this result for this type of person. It was interesting. We, do, we did a live show for a little while on YouTube. And I've experimented over the years of ways to get people to succinctly tell me what they do. And in a live setting, it's interesting because you'll get all kind of answers. I'm like, what problem do you solve? Uh, how kind of varying degrees of quality of answers? It's like half the time I can't tell still. Do you... Do you have software? Do you sell books? Do you have a course? Like, I can't tell what you do. Even in, we have a 200 question assessment that clients take when they come in. And some of the times, at least in the early days before we refined it, I would get their answers. I'm like, I still don't know what you do. Like, I literally don't know what you do at all. So through doing that, there was, I accidentally asked this on Shop Talk a few weeks ago. I, I threw up a slide that we almost make it almost impossible to fail at achieving X result for Y type of person. And every answer uh, me and the guy that co-hosted with me, Ben, he's our director of marketing. We're reading through them. We're like, I just understand everyone's answer. I understand what they do, which is shockingly seems like a simple thing, but is really hard to get people to tell you clearly. Because I think half the time we don't even, we aren't even clear ourselves. So that answer, I think, is the answer to the true business question. What's the problem so interesting? You gladly bet the next 20 years of your life on solving it. And one of the most succinct ways to state the answer to it in the form of a mission statement, really like a true actual mission that you can actually solve. And I don't know where this idea came from. Maybe it's EOS. I don't know who invented this framework. A lot of people set the mission at something that's impossible to achieve, which is the dumbest thing I can possibly think of. Like their mission is like, bring happiness to humans. I'm like, how would you ever in a million years know if you, like, that's just, I don't get that. I'm, in some people's brains that clicks and makes sense and is a helpful business framework. I don't understand why you would ever do that because we can truly make it almost impossible to fail to grow in a business. That is an actual solvable problem. And it'll probably take us 20 years to fully actually solve that. So I don't know, th- th- that question, what's a problem so interesting you'd gladly bet the next 20 years of your career on solving it? For anybody listening, including you, Jay, if you don't have an answer, I hope it haunts you at night until you get an answer <laughs> to that question. Because that is real entrepreneurship, real business. It isn't opportunity seeking, which is fine. But like most people run businesses from like I flipped Wii's in 2006 I would get them off. I would go to Walmart at night when they release them, buy them, put them on Craigslist and flip them. Almost all business that I see is fancy forms of that. Mm. It's what a lot of the Bitcoin and NFT crap is. It's not the technologies are a different thing, but most people's approach to them is all like, how can I buy and flip? How can I buy and flip? And it's like, I mean, that's fine. Do whatever you want to do. I think one of the most fascinating things about where we live right now is Elon Musk. And one of the most depressing things right now is that he's the only one because he's doing incredibly cool stuff. He's the most successful, most interesting entrepreneur probably that's ever lived. And he's living right now and almost all of it's being live streamed on Twitter and YouTube. It's like being in Thomas Edison's laboratory real time while he's trying to invent the light bulb. It's like, if you aren't paying attention, get over your politics and whatever your problem with Elon is and pay attention because it is utterly fascinating. 
And the depressing part of it at the same time is that there's just one of him. There should be thousands of him. And he's utterly unique in entrepreneurship because he starts with that question. That's what I've distilled down his, and I don't know if he, he probably wouldn't say it quite like this. I'm sure he'd use different words, but that's how he's approached his businesses. What is a problem? So interesting. I'd love to bet the next 20 years of my life on solving it. And he started, you know, two primary companies around that, accelerating the pace of sustainable energy with Tesla and making life multiplanetary with, with SpaceX. So those are the two fundamental 20-year questions. And they are 20 to 50-year problems to solve. And he's solving them, which is the fascinating part. Like, if you aren't inspired by that, you're totally insane. But first, um, he had to solve, like, real-time internet payments. <laughs> Real time what? Oh yeah, first first he solved money and then he solved energy and then he solved, you know, make humans not go extinct. It's like, but the cool thing about that is like, those are some of the biggest problems that be, can be conceived and he's doing it. It's not because he's some special unicorn. Yeah, he has his special skills just like anybody, but he has as many flaws as he has skills. Like he's just one of the first people to think of the problem that way and systematically go about doing it. And everybody uses the money, he had $180 million from selling PayPal, but I can give you a list of thousands of people that have sold for way more money than that and have never done what he does. Take Mark Cuban, bless him, love Shark Tank, solves lots of problems. He sold for a billion dollars. He didn't go try to go to Mars and solve sustainable energy. He started buying other people's companies. Cool, who cares? Anybody can do that. That's in there. There's thousands of people that can do that. Mark, why don't you go solve another real problem? Like he's not solving a real problem. He's solving buying companies. Like. Who cares? Like, really, honestly, it's depressing to me that Mark, a top 1% leader of all time, doesn't go solve a real problem. And maybe you can you know, uh, go do his mission. That's his unique mission. Cool for him. But like, man, the most depressing thing about Elon is there are only one of them. If I'm reading between the lines, your 20-year problem is this, how do I scale one-on-one -on -one coaching with the best experts That's in the, the world? That's the problem, yeah, is how do you scale one-on-one -on -one coaching? Because like, we're for the context of growth tools, what that means, we have to do it once before we can repeat the process. Because what, what I really want to do is from making it almost impossible to fail or grow in a business is to distill down how you scale one-on-one -on -one coaching. And that's the problem we're applying it to so that we can just give that to all of our clients and they can do that for all of their solutions. And we can, we'll probably get into other verticals of all types and apply it there. But the true like innovation, if I could just, if I could only have one innovation I leave behind when I die, it would be just like, think about food until 120 or so years ago, 98% of humans were agrarian. They spent all of their time through all of human history until the late 1800s, early 1900s. Almost every human that ever lived spent almost every hour of their life solving the food problem so they wouldn't starve. <laughs> like That's just what we spent every waking hour on. Once we solved that problem, now there's problems with some of the solution there, the industrialized stuff, but like it's freed up humans' brains for the industrial revolution, technology revolution, because we just have hours to do other things. And one of the problems I see is that we spend tons of time resolving the same problems over and over again. We resolve like marketing sales is not some crazy complex black box thing. It is right now because you can't access and use the information efficiently. But now you can walk into a grocery store and pay somebody 10 bucks and get food. You can get strawberries or blueberries. You don't have, I don't have to learn how to grow them, but marketing and sales is that. Marriage is that. I mean, think about marriage. This is the dumbest solution ever invented. You get married. You know the three problems, sex, money, and communication. You know them. Those are the three causes of divorce. Yet none of us ever talk about them. None of us ever get mentoring about them. We all think we're supposed to be amazing at sex the day we get married. It's like, you aren't. You suck <laughs> at it. 
So like you, you the day you start a business, I don't. You're an amazing marketer. Like, yeah, we're all great at it. No, you're not. Like, have you ever been coached about it? Have you ever read a book about it? Have you ever practiced about it? Like, no. So you're gonna be terrible at it. Same thing with money, same thing in communication. But we all get married and re spend our entire marriage resolving the same problems that every human that's ever lived on earth has resolved. And it's like, this is just a waste of time. Why isn't there a product, I use product liberally, a product that makes it almost impossible to fail at having a bad marriage? That doesn't exist. And I'm fairly convinced it doesn't exist, not because it's really hard to, not because it's impossible to do, but because no human has ever clearly, consciously dedicated a couple of decades of their life to solving it. When we come back, Brian and I talk about what makes a paid offer, even a high ticket offer, irresistible to customers. And then we dive into this new pricing model that absolutely blew my mind. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. Brian has been using this new framework for his niche that I really, really like. He basically says, I make it nearly impossible for this type of person to fail to achieve this type of thing. And that line, I make it nearly impossible, makes this feel really irresistible. So I asked Brian how he thinks about irresistibility and what makes an irresistible offer. Well, here's a few things that I consistently find that keep it from being irresistible. Because I think most people's, like our fundamental belief at our company, think Simon Sinek's golden circles, like is that humans are underrated. And you can definitively prove this. There's a guy named George Land. He did a TED talk on this. Just Google George Land TED talk. He showed, he did this like 30 year longitudinal study where basically tracked 1500 humans for for the first 30 years of their life or something like that. I don't know the details, I mean, fact check it. He got hired by NASA to come up with a test to try to find the most creative people at NASA so they could just put the most creative people on their biggest problems. It was like, makes sense. So they hired George. He makes this test, does this 30 year long study. And he finds that 98% of five-year-olds are creative geniuses. Like, whoa! We, his biggest discovery was that we're practically all born creative geniuses. By the time you're 28 or in your mid 20, late 20s or something, you go, go watch the TED talk. Less than two percent of the same group are still creative geniuses. So, I maybe thinking <laughs> kind of reverse engineering what it takes to make an irresistible offer. I would say probably we all have locked up inside of us the ability to create irresistible offers. And there's blockers that accidentally or maybe intentionally get installed all throughout our first couple of decades of life, maybe industrialized school, I don't know, whatever the factors would be. I'm not some school expert, but there's things that happen over two decades to turn, like I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. That means my seven-year-old is less of a creative genius than he was two years ago. And that's like slightly depressing to say out loud. There's things that are happening in his life that are that are now blocking those things and less than it were, more than it was prior. So I think all of us if you were to move the blockers, we could just go make amazing things. But there's blockers in the way of that. And I think when you get down to the practical granular level, when I'm working with entrepreneurs, working with people in the room last week, working with the folks for a day, one thing that I see is they they can't succinctly describe the thing. Like when they talk about their product, it's just like they're passionate about it. It's super obvious it helps people. But when they're describing it to people in the sales, when they're just describing it to me, I ask, okay, what do you sell? They talk for 10 minutes and I have no idea what they just said. It, I can tell you're excited, but I'm not going to buy because I don't understand what you're talking about. So the very first thing we do for clients is we write out, we help them write out on one page their irresistible offer. In fact, I keep ours on my desk in a folder so that I, I read it about once a week. I read back through our offer just to remember the framing of how do I talk about this thing in a way that's effective and they can understand. So one of the first characteristics of being able to translate, hmm, maybe this would be the case. Let's assume that everybody's product is irresistible and the only barrier is the perception from the person wanting to buy it. Meaning, how could I communicate this really good thing that I have? I see that way more often. People have a good thing. 
It isn't that they have crap. They have a good thing and they don't know how to communicate it to people. So maybe the fundamental assumption that we've made in teaching Irresistible Offer is it's the communication mechanism is the main mm-hmm. problem. If mm-hmm. you have a sucky product, go fix your sucky product. Most of us have enough intelligence and creativity to go do that. So number one would be describing the problem you solve succinctly. So we have a few fill-in-the-blank templates that we use. It's literally fill-in-the-blank. Like make, We make it almost impossible to fail at X specific result for Y specific type of person. Another component that we found to be extremely efficient at communicating it is having a guarantee around it. So we have, I I won't be able to state it exactly word for word, so give me grace in the words here, but we have two guarantees around our product now. We have a marketing plan guarantee and we have a ROI guarantee. And these aren't the exact words, but you'll get the basic gist. And the marketing plan guarantee is that if you aren't so blown away by the marketing plan that we present to you that you cry or get unreasonably excited about it, we require that you ask for your money back. Wow. Just that one sentence, communication, you don't really need to say a lot else about the product. You get at least the first part of the product. You're going to get a marketing plan that you're pumped about. It risk reverses. It... I think probably the most efficient USP that I've ever found to communicate a product and sell it at the same time is guaranteed language. What's USP? Yeah, unique, unique sales proposition. 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 I don't know. Yeah, I'll probably look up the definition there. <laughs> but yeah, what's unique about your product versus all the other ones? A guarantee specifically. Now, you, there's lots of things you need to be aware of on guarantees, but it's the most efficient way to communicate what you sell while also increasing the likelihood that they'll buy it. Because what a good guarantee does is reverses all the risk. Like they're thinking they're interested. Some people have listened to this and be like, oh, maybe I'll hire Brian. And they hear like, oh, like, okay. So he can, he could do all the work. I could get it. And I could still be like, nah, I don't know. I'm not interested in getting my money back. Yeah, that's what we're saying. And I'm also saying behind the scenes, 100% of the clients, several hundred clients that have bought in the last three or four months or something have all said yes. So that should also increase your, your, your confidence, your trust in what we do. You can say no, but everybody said yes. So cool. The second, the second guarantee we have is ROI guarantee. Uh, We've changed the wording on this one several times because we've, you know, we've made some errors in accidentally owning people's business from this and thus decreasing their results they get. But basically, if you do the plan and you don't get the results, you get your money back. First, you're going to like the plan. You're going to agree to the plan. If you don't agree to the plan, you get your money back. Second thing is just do the plan. We'll coach you through doing the plan, make it easy to do the plan. But if you do the plan and you don't hit the, you don't get your money back, then we'll give you money back plus $1,000 to hire another coach. So I have no risk in getting the plan. It's all on me to agree or not agree. And then as long as I do the thing that I committed to doing, I'll make all my money back or you'll give me $1,000 to hire another coach. Yeah, there's literally just no risk. I guess the, the one risk spot would be you agree to a plan and you don't do the plan. Yeah, so if you just don't do the work that you agree to do, then yeah, then it's on you. Do you think if, if I'm somebody listening to this and I have a product offer that has some form of personal touch, it's not a self-paced thing. Sure. And I'm selling that for $5,000 right now. And I'm hearing this and I'm saying, I want to charge $15,000 for my thing. Do you think that the most efficient path to raising the price on your high ticket offer is to make some sort of guarantees like this that you can stand behind? I mean, you can just say words. <laughs> You can just make guarantees. You know, if you can't put your money where your mouth is, you're going to have lots of problems and give lots of refunds and you're going to go out of business. So I say that the first thing to making a high ticket offer is restructuring the offer itself. So let's say, let's say for instance, and you could guide me on an example here that might be more relevant to the audience. Let's say you sell a hundred, a $100 a month membership site. And you're like, Ooh, the idea of selling $10,000 things sounds super interesting. It's also intimidating, but like it's way easier to get one $10,000 client than to get, I guess, a hundred, a hundred dollar clients would be equivalent math. Like, yes, it is, by the way. It's way easier to get one $10,000 client than 100 $100 clients or $1,000 $10 a month clients. 
for sure that's the case because <laughs> I've done all of the spectrum and coached thousands of businesses. Ways are to get one person, no matter the price point, than 100 or 1,000 people, no matter the price point. That's just true. Now you get into what's the product. So what? What? how do I reformulate my $100 membership site to sell it for $10,000? $10, and there are there is some reformulation. So here's the best analogy I know to communicate this. Think about the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is free for any human that wants to watch it. It'll literally just turn on your TV, plug on an antenna, and you can watch it for free. In high def, from your from your from your living room with popcorn or whatever you want. It's totally free. The core content is totally free. And in fact, the best experience to watch the Super Bowl is at home. Like, because you get replay, you get zoomed in, high def, all that stuff. But despite the core content being super cheap, low ticket offer, free, people pay. $2,000 to get the nosebleed section of the Super Bowl. Or they might pay hundreds of dollars locally to go to a sports bar for the like the, the fan club of their team and like go to a way less good experience of consuming the core content, but they got people there. Or they pay $2,000 to sit in the nosebleed section. You can't even really see the game at all. Like you have no idea what's going on half the time. Or they pay $10,000 for like lower bowl section seats, or they pay $100,000 to get box seats, or a million dollars to get on the sideline to slap Patrick Mahomes in the butt as he <laughs> runs out on the field before the game. A million dollars for worst content, or let, let's use for our sake of our analogy here, the same content as you would get at home for free. Why is that? Uh, there's two additional things you can add on to any product to make it high ticket, access and perks, because that's what you get. When you get the when you get the 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 club in town or the two thousand dollar nosebleeds or the ten thousand dollar fifty yard line or the million dollar on the field thing, I'm assuming you can do that. I've never been to the Super Bowl, but you can pay more to get better things. You're getting more access and you're getting more perks. So how can you add? You don't need to make any more content. Your content, if you've been doing this, I mean, if you have nothing, then make some content. But like, you don't need to add more training modules onto your thing to go high ticket. You need more access and more perks. That's the thing that people pay exponentially more for you already do that and you don't even know it <laughs> because of the Super Bowl. Like you probably have paid money for that before or some, some similar type of example. So first you have to like have a product that's formulated into a high ticket offer. And then you can add guarantees and you can add clear language on it to communicate it to people. The thing is now with the market of where it's at, uh, there's so many courses, so much self-guided stuff. There's plenty of room for more of that, by the way. There's a lot of humans on the planet. We've in no way saturated that market. But a way to stand out in an existing market is to come in with a product that has a way higher success rate. And that's the driver in everything we've done from almost day one. Well, since launching the first course and realizing the success rates were super low, is just how can we have more success? How can clients have more success? And I have found the more self-paced you get, the lower the success rate. So there's a place for that. It has its place. Like I love books. Super low success rate. Like probably the worst success rate of any product ever made is a book. Also, they're amazing. Please keep writing them. I'm not writing a book for success rates. If you write a book and say, man, only 0.1% of people read it, I guess I'm not going to be an author. Then like you've chosen the wrong profession. I'm in the business of optimizing for success rates. So the book makes no sense right now for us. Uh, what makes it sense is scaling one-on-one -on -one coaching. So you have to take your membership site and turn it into something that has access and perks. And you can, there's a handful of really simple things you can do to do that for almost any existing information product to make it a $5,000, $10,000 a month product. So I watched this uh, live stream you were mentioning a little bit ago, and the title of that live stream was how I added $100,000 per month in recurring revenue without an extra funnel. Oh, yeah. And you introduced this idea of a sum pricing model, which I believe you're now using at Growth Tools. And it's, it's something I would love to share with the folks listening here because I do think it's really, really unique. I'd love to hear how you landed on that and why you think it's compelling. Well, the basics are one-time revenue is a really bad idea if you, 
if you really want to help people solve problems. And by one-time revenue, I mean you sell a course for $4.99 and you're done. It's actually kind of becomes a Ponzi scheme to some degree. It's not technically a Ponzi scheme, but a Ponzi scheme is where you have to keep getting new clients in order to fund the old clients. That doesn't isn't really the case in course business because like they're such high profit businesses. But basically, if the only new rev if the only revenue you have is new clients, you have a major opportunity and a major problem. <laughs> Meaning, just when you get a new a new customer, a new client. Why are they stopping paying you money? Because as soon as they stop paying you money, the, the forcing functions flip and get super weird. Your forcing function becomes, I need to get new clients to keep growing the business. What it's not, the dog that doesn't bark there is, I don't have to keep improving the product to keep getting the results so they keep paying me money. So it creates, and what most of the course industry is, is a lot of really crappy products to get made one time and I got to focus 90% of my effort on marketing and sales to keep meeting new customers because it's the only way I can make money. The other end of the spectrum is a membership site where they only charge usually low ticket, 29, 20, 49, 59, $99 a month or something. Sometimes they get more expensive, but most of the time, most of them in that route. And they got such low uh, lifetime value of clients or su- such low money paid up front that it's really hard to grow those businesses because the economics just get really gnarly. So we've kind of just combined the two. You have a high upfront fee you pay and you have an ongoing monthly fee. So our sticker price for our product is 15K up front, $1,000 a month. Super simple. I think there's a few things that make that work really well for coaching. We, we actually describe it in inverse. We say it's $1,000 a month for coaching. And there's a setup fee. And then as you go on the call, we'll describe all the details of that. And there's scholarships and stuff available at different points in time. But what it does on coaching specifically, uh, we've, we've four years of experimentation to figure out this really simple, basic lesson. Talk about coaching and monthly fee because that's what everyone expects. If you talk about coaching and upfront fees, people get confused and they expect things that it's not. And it just, every, the expectations get on the line. Coaching is such a known product type and such an assumed way coaching works. And when people hear coaching, they expect you to get on calls with them. That's just what people expect. It's just the known product type. So we just described it that way. We just we, so last summer, uh, you know, about a year and a couple of months ago, we changed it from ten thousand dollars for a year to uh, like ten thousand dollars up front and a thousand dollars a month. Or said the way we actually say it, a thousand dollars a month and ten thousand dollars. Our close rates doubled when we did that. That's crazy. When we Why? started describing it as a thousand dollars a month plus a setup fee, kind of like I don't know if you've been around internet marketing for a long time. Infusionsoft used to do that. I don't think they do it now, but they used to charge a setup fee or a mag fee or something of several thousand dollars plus four or five hundred bucks a month or whatever. So we kind of, that's the first place I heard of it and it's kind of stuck in my brain. There's some companies that still do that. It just makes sense with coaching because it takes us way more upfront to get somebody started. To make the plan is a lot of time. We audit all their funnels and their marketing and them and the buyer and owner intent, the whole deal and present them like, and we spend hours and hours and hours and hours making the marketing plan. So like that should be, we think internally about that as its own product. It should be able to be sold as a standalone product and be a successful product. Now, the problem with it, it doesn't have a recurring component. So if that's all we sold and we attach 12 months of coaching to it, by month 12, we don't actually care about them because we've extracted all value and they've not extracted their value yet. So it sets the forcing functions. And no matter what kind of in heart you have as a company, if you've extracted all monetary value, you're not going to serve that client as well as you could if you have still have value to extract. And that's using kind of weird language, but like it's just fundamentally true. That's number one. Number two is by selling a one-time fee product, you accidentally steal urgency from the client. We've had probably a thousand people in the first couple of years of the product, I haven't done the math, in the high hundreds at least, pay us $10,000 for the year. By month six, there's no urgency. They have, they've experienced all of their pain and paying the money. We've experienced all of, we've extracted all of our value and all the money we're going to extract out of them. 
There's no forcing function for either one of us to do anything anymore. So we found by charging an ongoing $1,000 a month, one, our economics of our business get really good. And two, they experience the pain of pain every month, which drives their urgency, which forces more coaching from us. Because if you aren't paying, if you aren't delivering value every single day, they will leave. And if they leave, that's painful for us. So I think for coaching, it is the best model that I'm aware of. And I've studied many of them. I'm sure there might be a better one out there somewhere. $1,000 a month or a monthly fee plus a setup fee for coaching. Single best model. It sets all the forcing functions up correctly. You continue to have money to make from them. They continue to pay the money, which means they're going to hold you accountable for being a freaking good coach and being a good product. And if you aren't, they'll fire your butt in a heartbeat and you'll experience that pain. You don't have to fix the problem. I love the topic of alignment of incentives because so many things like create perverse incentives and like shadow incentives. Uh, so I love this in theory, if they paid the setup fee and their first month of coaching, they could leave in month two and mm -hmm. that's just the end. And it's like, okay, you've got the plan, do the plan on your own time. Yes, they could. And we would experience the pain. I mean, here, ultimately in our company, there's a, pro, there's a person that owns product. This is baffling by the way, a director of product exists basically in no internet marketing business I've ever seen before. There's not a person that actually owns. There's a person that owns sales. There's a person that owns marketing. There's a person that owns branding. Who owns the product? I can tell you, I've looked into the hood of almost every big internet entrepreneur company and no one owning product anywhere. So in our company, we have someone that owns product and they own the, we call it the keep percentage. And ultimately Jeanette's job is the keep percentage, meaning the number of clients that we start the month with, that we end the client, then the month with, and she gets paid and incentivized and has goals based on keeping clients. So when we lose a client, it directly impacts her earning potential, the coach's earning potential and directly impacts our mission because our mission is based on a, a certain keep rates. Like we want to be in, the start of January 1st, 2025, our goal is to have a 98% month to month keep rate, like a 2% churn rate on a thousand dollar a month coaching product, basically. Like that's one of the key metrics. Like you're, you got a good product. Uh, right now, last last month, uh, the, we do a rolling 30 day averages. This week, as of yesterday, it was 91% on the rolling 30 day. It's like, that's solid. Basically, you have a, and depending on how you calculate churn, you have a 9% monthly churn rate on a thousand dollar a month product. Like that's good. It's got a ways to go though. Like it, it can get so much better. So yes, somebody could leave, but we would feel the pain. One, they fire us. And every time they fire us, we have to fundamentally find the reason they fired us and fix that problem. And that's the only way we ever accomplish the mission and make it almost impossible to fail to grow in your business. You have to, you have to keep hiring. Like if, if you leave us, that means you've, you've extracted all value or at least you perceive you've extracted all value from us. And if your business isn't growing, if you're on the Inc. 5000 list every year, meaning you're doubling your business every year or really 30% growth to your business every year, then you have it. For those clients who are moving on, let's say the cycle plays out for 12 months. I've mm -hmm. taken the plan, I've applied the plan, I paid you for 12 months, and I feel like I've reached the end of that plan. Yeah. Do you guys graduate that client and say, you did it, we all celebrate, and that's what churn comes from there? Or do you say, let's make a new plan? So any client ever leaves is a bug, not a feature. No client, in theory, should ever leave. The only time you, so imagine, just like go like super, zoom out a product lens for a minute. You hire a coach, as a result of hiring that coach, your business starts growing 40% month over month over month over month over month over month over month. You're attributing at least a, a good chunk. There's always a halo effect with coaching. There's things that happen as a result, not directly of what they're telling you or advising you on. There's always a halo effect. But like the core stuff, you're like, man, you gave me that and that worked. And every couple months, there's like a direct thing you do that's like, whoa, buddy, that's cool. Why would you ever fire that coach? You wouldn't. Practically, right. it would, the thought would literally never enter your mind. In fact, you would guard it. It would be one of your most, like if you had a Facebook ad funnel, a free plus shipping funnel that's totally kicking butt, it's a 10x return on ad spend, 
generating every client you could possibly need. And you're like, at what point would I turn it off? You'd be like, what are you talking about? Why would you ever turn that off? So we think about us just like a really good, I mean, it's a totally not comparable example, but like a really good Facebook ad funnel that you've hired a marketer to run. It's like, you would never turn that off. That would make no sense at all. (laughs) So, I mean, people fire us. I mean, 91% keep rate, which is solid, but that means 9% of our clients fire us every month. So like we have plenty of things to keep fixing to make that be true and be, be reality. But anytime, no one should ever graduate. If they've graduated, we've just run out of things to give them. We've run out of advisement to give them. We've run out of information, run out of problems we're solving that we can give them. Now, it'll take us years to get to the point where we solve all those problems and get, there's many things you have to do to make that happen. But anybody that ever leaves is a bug, not a feature. One other fascinating thing about your story is, you know, you kind of started growth tools because you started making content on video fruit, but it seems like you've really leaned more into lead gen from software products than from new content. And that's something we haven't talked about at all. Uh, So one, I want to know if that is true. And two, if it is true, if people are thinking about creating software for lead gen, what do they need to know to have the least painful experience possible? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That's a good question. Okay, zoom out real quick. Here's a really, I think I heard Ryan Dice ask this question for the first time. This is a clear question. I love these super simple questions. How do customers happen for your business? You should be able to answer that question very clearly. If you can't, that's a problem. Go answer it clearly. I was at Traffic and Conversion last year and he asked that question in a talk. I'm like, oh man, that's a really, like I teach this stuff and coach people on that stuff. And that's a better version of that question than I've ever asked myself before. So I've thought about that a lot since then. We have a diagram now, how customers happen, a Loom video that talks through it and a little simple explainer. So we all just know how customers happen for us. There's three things that have to happen for customers to happen. You have to have their eyeballs, their hearts, and then you can get their wallets. And again, I'm using internal language. We all know we want to help people. So use internal language here. First, they have to know you exist then they have to trust you, and then you can present an offer to them and buy. If you present offers before they know you exist, then you're presenting it to air. If you present an offer before they trust you on some level, they're never going to buy it. you got to have those three things. So the very first part of that is eyeballs. Like They have to know you exist in order to hear your offer even. So when trying to make a system that makes it almost impossible to fail to grow into business, we have to solve lead gen for people. We have to, lead gen is just the ultimate version of having eyes. You own the eyeballs. You can communicate directly with the eyeballs. And I've experimented with, I don't know, countless things over the years of doing lead generation. One of the most effective and the most complex that I would advise most no one to actually do in real life would be um, creating software. The reason I would say most people don't need to do that, it's just incredibly complex. It has a lot of upsides to it. But good heavens, man, like there's plenty of simpler ways to get well past. If you're pre $10 million a year in revenue for any business, don't do it. You just don't need it yet. <laughs> but we did it way before $10 million a year. And it's been it's been good. Basically, uh, Infusionsoft approached us years ago and said, hey, I would like to do, I don't even know why they did this. This doesn't make sense in retrospect. But they, somehow somebody that worked there followed me. And they're like, hey, we want to do a webinar for your course. At the time, we had a course we sold called, uh, sold called Get 10,000 Subscribers. And I was like, that'd be really cool. And then we were talking and just learning about in partnerships. Anytime someone wants to promote your stuff, always step number one is fully understand what the win is for them. But we kind of untangled, 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 untangled. And I was like, man, you know, what really sounds like a win for your clients. And now I'm probably stupid in retrospect for not just saying yes and having them promote a webinar to 10K subs, but it just didn't sound like the best solution for whatever his problem was at the time. What we came up with was like what your people really need help with is writing great email campaigns. People buy your tool, the habit, it's called Infusionsoft, all this stuff. Like the thing, the fundamental thing almost everyone that has Infusionsoft wants to do is send 
campaigns that convert. And your tool just happens to facilitate that process. In fact, Infusionsoft is actually a really interesting case that is that we need to write up or somebody needs to write up at some point. They get overly focused on a solution and totally had the market dominated and lost it because they suck at product. They sucked at, they had the same problem Kodak had. They get overly committed to a solution and not overly committed to a problem. And they just totally crap the bed and lost almost all market share in MarTech world and ESP land as a result. It's really sad actually, because they like had innovation. Anyhow, so what we did to get back on point, we're like, hey, why don't we just build a tool that makes it really easy? Like we have a bunch of campaigns we've sent before. Y'all have a bunch of campaigns you sent before. Let's just make a tool that's like Mad Libs for email campaigns. And somebody can come in, answer a few questions, and out the other side comes an amazing product launch campaign or a flash sale campaign or a welcome sequence or whatever. So we did. We called it Drip Scripts. You can go get it. Dripscripts.com is free. Uh, we've done several iterations of it now. And basically, the partnership we kind of came to was like, why don't we make it? We had several engineers that can make the tool. And y'all just sponsor it. We'll put Drip Scripts by growth tools powered by Infusionsoft or whatever. And the cool thing about a tool partnership is it's so unique because it's hard <laughs> to do well, that they promoted it. It was like their homepage above the fold wow. CTA for several months. They sent multiple emails to the entire list. We generated something like 15,000 leads, like email subscribers that joined Drip Scripts and we got on a newsletter that we could sell coaching to as a result of that launch alone. So it works great. We now get, I don't know, somewhere about 5,000 new email subscribers a month just from the little suite of tools that we did that with and we haven't maintained them in any kind of meaningful way in years. That's 5,000 a month with practically zero effort for multiple years on end from a C minus execution of that strategy. If we, if I would have actually done it right, we'd have hired a real marketer to run that and we'd have 100,000 leads a month. I mean, because everybody wants to do that. Like we could, you could approach GoDaddy, you could approach these people that have millions of new visitors a day, a month. If you executed that well, it takes a well-staffed, well-funded team that it's the single best partnership strategy I've ever seen by a mile. Also, extremely complicated. <laughs> so if you don't have a team to go do that, really bad idea. It'll be a distraction. There's just way simpler things. But it's been effective. We still, tons of leads from it every month. Uh, still not staffed right. I don't know if we'll ever get back to doing that because there's just way simpler things. But we'll see. Our name of the company is Growth Tools. It'd be great to have that suite like fully done as it could be done. I absolutely love getting into the weeds of sales and marketing like this. And since I started creating online in 2017, Brian is one of the guys that I look to the most. If you wanna learn more about Brian and Growth Tools, you can go to growthtools.com. They've actually put together a little offer for listeners of this show. It's free. The link to that is in the show notes. Thank you to Brian for being on the show. Thank you to Connor Conaboy for editing this episode and Nathan Todhunter for mixing our audio. Thank you to Brian Skeel for creating our music and Emily Klaus for creating our artwork. If you enjoyed this show, tweet at me at jklaus. Let me know. Leave a comment here on YouTube. And if you really want to say thank you, review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Sonic Universe.